0: It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are
1: telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that
0: we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman.
0: It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. (laughs) You see what I I did there? Uh, Yeah. Uh,
1: And I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice.
0: We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpressionnage. Man, I love that movie.
1: We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninotchka, The Women, and The
0: Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series.
1: Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the
0: Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with The Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises.
1: Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape.
0: And for our David Mamet Wright series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross.
1: Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them.
0: Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals.
1: Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read.
0: I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends
1: And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at
0: thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Star Wars opened. You've seen it how many times? Three. (laughs) Uh, I haven't caught up yet, but I'm close. It was, was a familial thing. Was yeah. it worth it every time? It
1: was. It's gotten more worth it each time.
0: It has. There are people who have, you know, okay, so we should we should tell people. Uh, we did a film board on this, and so if you're listening to this show but you haven't heard the film board, you should back it up in your feed and you should go look listen to the last episode and the episode before that, which was our interview with uh, DC Barnes and Trent Adams, who actually were on set uh, as the winners of the Omaze contest, uh, the Force for Change contest, and they uh, they were on set in London, and shared their story with us for TNR Short last week. Uh, And since then, there are people, people who are close to us, people who are friends of the show, who did not share our childlike glee with the experience of uh, seeing The Force Awakens. Can you believe that? Who are these people? Well, I don't want to out them. I
1: don't either, but, you know, it's just one of those things. I guess guess it depends on what people... I, I think some people were very disappointed by the fact that it does feel rehashed a little bit it feels like take a new hope stir it up a tiny bit with some new people in it and make that movie
0: that's pretty much what they
1: did. What they did with it and what they did with those characters, I really liked. And the more I think about it, the more I really enjoy the fact that it actually feels like there's a touch of this history repeats itself element going on in this in the in this story of the force in this in this universe. I like
0: it. You know, in hindsight, I think I I feel like they sort of had to reclaim some concepts. Uh, and and recast them a little bit, and and so for that after the I, prequels, yeah, know. after the prequels, you know, I feel like they they needed to take ownership again of of what uh, some of these core elements of Star Wars really you know really were, and I I I appreciated that. I also think they accelerated some elements of the film in order to prepare for whatever comes next, you know, the yeah. hundreds of films that are to follow in the universe. But this was a, an important film, uh, you know, I think, and it was, and I. Uh, I can't shake the experience of really enjoying it for
1: what it was. I, yeah, and it gets it does get better every time. I find the problems that I have diminish a little bit with each watching, and and my joy with everything else just increases. So I've really kind of fallen for this film quite a bit. And remember, I was the guy who had locked my little child. Yeah, you had self your inner in child was
0: locked in a closet,
1: locked in the closet inside my heart, and I wouldn't yeah. let him out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, now now I am. The, you yeah, are a child. You child. are a man, child. <laughs> I'm the inner child, and I've
0: locked my grown-up <laughs> self in my heart. So. <laughs> and now I won't let him out. Wow! Yeah, you just reversed a delusion right there. You just inverted <laughs> a delusion. Something like that just happened. Yes, indeed. Yes, uh, Well, yes, congratulations. Uh, I am thrilled for you and your chi- inner child, and um, and I'm with you. I I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm going to keep seeing it in the theater until my pre-order comes in. For, Ex- uh, execute order yeah. pre. I have, so. Can we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? This is the next reel on RashPixel.fm, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hello, And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, it's our annual dip into the Christmas spirit with uh, Joe Dante's 1984 horror comedy, Gremlins. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreal.com, subscribe to the show on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Real End. If you've ever seen Just What Happens When You Feed It After Midnight, you're just the sort of rule breaker who should join us on the Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag GuessTheMovieChallenge. And with that, let's head on over to
1: Scotland and visit with Stephen Smart, who's opening up a box with his own mogwai in it as we speak. Hey guys, this week's movie was The Gift from 2015,
0: directed, written, and starring Joe Edgerton with Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. This week at FEGFE nailed it on image 3 and is entered once again into the Pony Prize hat. Before I go, I'd like to wish everyone who has entered this year the best of luck in the upcoming draw. As always, a new challenge starts Friday, so thanks guys and see you later. But that's not all, Andy, that is not all. The annual celebration of the High Pony is upon us. And thanks be to the High Lord of all things Instagram that we are bestowed with such warmth and grace in all its supremacy and light. Tis the night that the ponies gather high on Mount the and attempt to recall the deep hidden inside joke that started this tradition, nay, these 2,000 years ago. As they fail, as it is written... When the last candle be snuffed into darkness, the random number be plucked from the depths, and the winner once again be cast into infamy. Andy, do you have the random number generator prepared?
1: I do, Pete. And uh, yes, we had fifty-four uh, weeks that we did this because we had a couple at the tail end of last year. And uh, yeah, so let me hit the hit the uh, button here. You ready? <laughs> And the winner is number 27. Number 27, Pete, is is the movie What If? And the winner is none other than Blot2319. That's right. Ben Lott is the winner of our pony prize.
0: Wow. Should that even be allowed? (laughs) I don't know. It's almost like he's a part of the show. All right, Andy. So uh, a few statistical questions for you. Uh, First, how many times did... Uh, did Ben Lott enter? Uh, to, uh, how many times did he win to get his name entered?
1: He actually only won two times. He won uh, once in week two for Miracle on 34th Street. And Street.
0: <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> totally different. That was actually the sequel to Boogie Nights.
1: <laughs> and then uh, for What If? So yeah, he only won those two times.
0: Wow. Okay, and who won, who, who had their name entered the most?
1: Scrolling through, it looks like Glar said actually won nine times.
0: Sweden represent
1: that is right way to go glasses. Nice.
0: that's not all we've decided this year to do a uh, to do a, a runner-up that's right we have so we've got a, a second place yes completely random drawing
1: and the runners up the runner up is going to be getting uh yeah a few of the
0: uh a few of the little bobbles not a uh, few of the little bobbles yeah. now to find out we should say for, for all the bobbles we have this is you know the pony prize it's kind of a thing uh it's kind of a big deal Around these parts, I don't know if you've heard. It kind of is a big deal around here. It's we're kind of a big deal in terms of prizes, and uh, and so you got to go to the blog to see everything that you're going to get as a pony prize winner or a runner up. Uh, but we will do here. We go the runner up based on a completely random number from Andy's own uh, runner up random number generator.
1: And the winner is number ten. Number ten is the movie Man of the West. And that goes to Soda Pop Rocker. Soda Pop Rocker.
0: Congratulations. That is awesome. Yeah. So uh, Soda Pop Rocker, you are the runner-up. Excellent. So head over to the blog, thenextreal.com slash blog, and uh, you will find uh, a post that details everything you're going to get, all the goodies, all the great things. And uh, and, uh, there you go. Anything else to say about that? Just that we thank
1: you all for playing. It's uh, always fun doing these every week. Steven Smart has a great time doing it, and uh, we really appreciate him doing it, and uh, we appreciate you all playing, so keep it up.
0: We would love that this thing exists, <laughs> even in the world. We do. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a uh, pony prize. <laughs> nothing like a pony prize. Thanks for making it happen, everybody. Uh, okay, we have a little bit of follow-up here. We've got a... Uh, speaking of uh, our dear friend of the show, Ben Lott, he did write again, in again, once again, with his review of last week's film, the third in our Harold Ramis series, National Lampoon's Vacation.
1: I used to think this movie was a comedic masterpiece. I kind of soured on it this time around. I stand solidly with Pete in Loving Christmas Vacation much more. I struggle to find the heart in this one, at least to the degree I find it in Christmas Vacation. Therefore, I struggle to care very much about the characters. I'm particularly annoyed by Clark's wandering, which makes him appear two-faced after just showing how sexually attracted he is to Ellen. However, I still laugh a lot when I watch Vacation, and, unlike Pete, I love the climax in Wally World. Definitely a film that delivers laughs, just not as many as my nostalgia remembered. You're ranked 27 out of 215, my rank 76 out of
0: 215. Yeah, I think he put it just right. I, not, as, not as many as my nostalgia remembered.
1: I I understand what he's saying here, but at the same time, I don't know. I definitely would take this one over Christmas vacation.
0: All right. That's fine. Our dear friend, uh, Per Johansson, uh, writes in from Sweden, says, American Pie Dad is car salesman. (laughs) Yep. Ramones in the headphones of the Walkman. Outstanding. I like smile emoticon, he says. I think he just says I think he says I like, and then there was a smile emoticon. Yes. Uh fun when everyone's asleep in the car fun movie 7 out of 10 sports cars to one pair for dad et paron till farsa Swedish name for the movie et par paron till farsa I sound I don't know Portuguese You sound yeah you sound Spanish <laughs> I, I can't do that
1: I love I I, I, I loved our games with those guys uh that guessing was, the titles. And one pair for dad, I would never have guessed that that was National Lampoon's vacation.
0: <laughs> one pair for dad. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, Andy, it's time. Let's do trailers. I'm going to go first because it's so feel good. Yours is pretty feel good. This is uh, Taryn Edgerton and Hugh Jackman. Bring us a uh, a feel good film uh, for the ages, Eddie the Eagle, the story of Great Britain's first ski jumper to enter the Winter Olympics. Uh, he's he's just a guy. He's a nerdy kid with a dream to fly. Andy. Oh yeah. And does he fly? He flies. <laughs> this looks absolutely wonderful uh, d- uh, it comes from director uh, Dexter Fletcher uh, I, I you know we know Dexter Fletcher uh, we, we certainly know dexter Fletcher he's first of all he's been an actor in in many many things though he is uh, only directed three he directed uh, wild Bill sunshine on Leith and then Eddie the eagle um, I never saw wild Bill uh, but I did see uh, sunshine on Leith do you see either one of those you know, I haven't
1: seen either of those, Pete.
0: You haven't? No. Nope. All right. Well, uh, I quite enjoyed Sunshine on Leith. I think he's, uh, he's an actor of some... Uh, he's kind of a utility player. He was in uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Kick-Ass. Uh, the Elephant Man, uh, Anthony Hopkins' joint. Um, been, been around for, uh, for some time, and so this will be his third directed film. Uh, I, I, now that I say that he directed it, did he write it as well? Um, No, he did not write it as well. Anyhow, um, so this will be his third directed film. I think it looks really, really fun. And uh, the, the cast is great, but beyond Taron Edgerton and Hugh Jackman, Christopher Walken, uh, uh, and uh, let's see, some other people I don't know. Um, Boy, a lot of people I don't know, but Taron Edgerton, Hugh, Jackson, <laughs> and Hugh Jackman, <laughs> and Christopher Walken, they are all in it. Uh, and... Um, uh, I felt great watching this film. Yeah,
1: Hugh Jackman had a little hint of his uh, real steel character in here, which yes. I just, that's, oh. that's a movie I just absolutely love. So much fun that's to watch right. that
0: one. I gave you a lot of trouble about that movie, and it turns out it was really, really good. It is really
1: good. It's just so much fun. So, um, yeah, I... This, you know, these inspirational sports movies can just totally hit me all the right way and uh this looks really great so i i'm really excited to see this one i and it's weird because i watched a lot of the olympics but i i just completely missed this story somehow so i don't know how
0: seems like it may have been kind of a small story it may have been better late than never is all i'm saying here here what's yours oh i didn't even tell you when it's coming february 26 2016 there you go when's yours what's yours (laughs) Whichever. Whichever.
1: So it's Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, Pete. It's a new American comedy war film directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, written by Robert Carlock, and is based on the memoir The Taliban Shuffle, Strange Days in Afghanistan and Pakistan by Kim Barker, who is a journalist who went over there to report during the war. And uh, Tina Fey is in it, and this looks like a very interesting vehicle for her. It looks like it's a little blend of kind of that comedy uh, comedy drama war sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, it looks like it could be a, a, an interesting move for Tina Fey to take. It's not just more of her kind of sisters type of, or baby mama type of thing. And I don't know, I'm quite excited to see how this one plays out. It's got Tina Fey in it, Margot Robbie as another of the reporters, Billy Bob Thornton, Who's looking uh, just crusty and perfect to play a, a grumpy military guy? Martin Freeman pops up as another reporter. And Alfred Molina with a gargantuan beard pops up as I don't know if he's a tribal leader or what, but he's uh, somebody who is either Af- from Afghanistan or Pakistan who seems to have kind of fallen for. Tina Fey's character. It looks uh, it looks a lot of fun. It looks really interesting. It looks like it could be saying some things that are interesting about kind of the situation over there. Um, and it also could just be uh, funny because Tina Fey's in it. So I'm quite looking forward to this one. What did you think?
0: Uh, you know, I just couldn't help but think, is this uh, our, this generation's Good Morning Vietnam? Mm. Um, you know, it's that, it, I got that same vibe and I, I, I sort of hope it is. Uh, I hope that this is a film that that um, uh, because Tina Fey is is already a, I mean she's such a player you know what I mean she's just classy and funny and um, smart and uh, I, I I just really appreciate what she brings to the whole uh, ecosystem and I think she needs a movie like this to really land yeah. She does. I'm. I'm really looking forward to it. I know there have been some comments of, of you know wariness uh, in and around the Flickchart group and uh, and I'm. But I'm. I'm really enthusiastic about it. I think it's going to be one to one to check out. And I hope she. I hope she has the the pull to. To uh, really establish the film and the story And I, I just hope it lives up to everything I hope it is
1: Yeah, I do too I really uh, do hope that it ends up uh, finding its audience And uh, making some waves for her
0: When's it? When Did, did
1: you say when it did? Uh, it
0: comes out uh, March 4th I'll get in line right when I'm done <laughs> There you go Andy, it was snowing outside The house was freezing So I went to try to light up the fire That's when I noticed the smell The fireman came and broke through the chimney top And me and mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. Instead, they pulled out my father. Billy Pelser has a nice home.
1: Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me.
0: I'd love to.
1: And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. We'll wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What
0: is it? No.
1: It's your new pet. Come on, Bonnie, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they bake, never, never let them eat
0: after midnight. Because when they do, they change. Gremlins, Andy. Gremlins. 1984 film uh, from director Joe Dante, written by Chris Columbus. Starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Don Steele, Susan Burgess, Scott Brady, uh, Corey Feldman. Love Corey Feldman. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget Harry Carey Jr. and Howie Mandel. And Howie Mandel. That's right. Nice did point. you say Polly Holiday? I'm sure. I'm sure I did in my head. <laughs> I didn't in my mouth. Uh, this was a. This was yes. Um, old Mrs. Deagle. Uh, yeah, this was a. Um uh, uh this is our Christmas film. This is our Christmas film, yes. There's snow, there was snow in the movie and therefore it's our Christmas film. And a Santa hat. And a Santa hat and a horrible story, a horrible urban legend about Santa in a chimney. Mm. Uh, and so here we are with Gremlins. This comes from, uh, it, it has kind of a, a it, an interesting pedigree. It comes from, uh, produced by Steven Spielberg. It was, I think it, was it the first Amblin Entertainment This was not picture? the first of the
1: Amblin films. It was uh, very early in the Amblin films. I believe it as actually third, because I think, um, I want to say, was it Neighbors? Or no, Continental Divide. I knew it was one of those. Um, that was the first one that he did back in 81, and then mm. E.T. was in 82, and Gremlins was obviously. 84. Um, okay. But even though um, this, I think, is the first one with Amblin, with the actual Amblin logo, or did they play the logo at the very end? I can't they remember. Do,
0: they did play the logo, yeah. Yeah,
1: because uh, obviously that iconic image of Amblin with E.T. on the bicycle with Elliot wasn't actually around when they did Continental Divide. And technically, it was around in E.T. the Extraterrestrial, but not as an actual logo.
0: Right. Uh, So I had not seen this movie in some time. Um, Had you seen it recently? Is this one you put on fairly often? You know, I hadn't. Um, No, not recently. All right. All right. So we have now watched it. Um, And and I think you were... When I said we were doing the film uh, for the thing, my wife said, ugh, I hate that movie. And I didn't know what she meant. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because my memory of it was really strong, uh, I remember having a ball at this movie. I thought it was just the perfect mix of of horror and comedy. I thought they just nailed it. It was very much of the time, uh, you know. It, I I remember that that was that was kind of a thing that we were just getting used to as horror comedy right around the eighty in the middle eighties. Uh, and uh, but I remember being very excited about it. Mostly, I remember having an unbelievable crush on Phoebe Cates. Oh yes and um and and so there we are. So I haven't seen it in many years. Uh and I and hate so, it when you begin this way. <laughs> and and I'm going to tell you uh I still enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. I it did not live up to my nostalgia, uh, but I but I didn't hate it at all. I I had a good time watching it. I found it funny in parts that I know were not intended to be funny. Uh it was very dated uh and uh but just the mechanics of the puppetry and the um, you know is the things that didn't hold up over time um I, I was super disappointed um in in the music but not the the music i was disappointed in the execution of the music i've been listening to it all day uh, to the soundtrack and i hadn't put it on in a long time i was really dis- disappointed in in jerry goldsmith's execution and i would love to hear if i if i, I don't want a remake of gremlins but i do want a remake of the uh, of the score
1: Wow, I yeah. love this score. This is one of my favorite Jerry Goldsmith scores,
0: and and I would agree with you if it wasn't so stupid electronic in so many important places. Uh, see, I think it fits perfectly for the film. It just has this
1: this this kind of weird vibe that works well for these creatures. I think. I mean, gremlins, the the actual gremlin creature were little in, initially in the time of uh, the, the World Wars and the aircraft and stuff. They, uh, you know, people would say that these were little creatures that would cause uh, mechanical issues in aircraft. And it was kind of one of the, I don't think it originally uh, originated with aircraft, but certainly during... World War II, it became quite a big thing. They, all the aircraft uh, divisions said that, oh, it's you know watch out for the Gremlins when they get into your engines and stuff. it causes uh, they cause issues and they would kind of attribute
0: any problems that happened to Gremlins. And, because and in fact, of that... you, can see, you can see if you go to YouTube, if you want to see the interpretation of this, uh, and this was a little uh, rat hole I happened to find myself in today. You can actually uh, watch the original Looney Tunes Falling Hair Bugs Bunny cartoon about gremlins in a World War II bomber.
1: Absolutely. And because of that kind of mechanical nature, I think that the electronic music actually works really well for this film.
0: I hear you but but don't you think like don't as you're listening to it, don't you find yourself thinking, God, this would be so great if they just uh, r- r- just executed it with a full rich symphony? No I think God, you're so wrong. I think the music
1: is is so <laughs> perfect. This is one of the few electronic scores that I think is just so right on the money. I I think everything is perfect the way that it's executed.
0: It's one of those that is super catchy to me. Uh, when I hear it, it, it becomes such an earworm. It's imminently singable, oh, yes. right? The, uh, the theme. The, the rag. The themes. But the gremlin rag and the the, the mogwai whistle, uh-huh. you know, I mean, they're all really... Uh, oh, Even Mrs. Easy, Deagle's Easy theme. to get in your head. Yes, <laughs> it's all great, great, great music. And I just want it. I want to hear it in a rich, um, complete... It just feels incomplete to me. Uh, And I think, it for me, that's one of the things that hurts the film. It just makes it sound a little bit too cotton candy uh, or too uh, Escape from New York.
1: (laughs) Well, but, you know, the thing is, it was the time. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Escape from New York, that was just a low-budget movie. This was not necessarily a low-budget movie.
0: Yeah, this was done with intention, right? Right. I mean, it was was
1: purposefully done this way. And, again, I, I think there was a lot of thought put into doing it this way as opposed to, something like what John Williams could have done, or even Jerry Goldsmith using a, an orchestra, which, I mean, there, there is some orche- orchestral bits in here, but I think for the most part it's it's that
0: electronic stuff. that It's it's electronic in just the worst places, and I think you're absolutely... That's the thing that makes me a little bit bitter about it, is that it's Jerry Goldsmith, and Jerry Goldsmith is capable of so much more uh, in terms of execution, and so that's one of the things I found frustrating. So... Uh
1: on that, that will forever disagree cuz yeah this is just I I listen to this soundtrack and it just makes me so happy. I just think this music is so <laughs> fun.
0: So, uh, uh well, will forever disagree on that point. You can I uh, you can have it. There um this was uh so this this as you started to say, this was a film that had that that's been in the queue for, you know, it was in the queue for forty years. You know, Warner Brothers wanted to do this for a long time. Disney wanted to do this for a long time, uh, and and they just never kind of got around to it. Well, not it until not this one. I don't think Disney not wanted this, this, this specific. One. Film. They wanted to do no, no, something no, about, specific, but a film about Gremlins. I think they um, wanted
1: to do uh, based on Roll Dahl's book from the was it forties or whenever Roll Dahl? Yeah, Gremlin. nineteen. Yeah,
0: yes. Um, I don't have that in front of the exact date in front of me, but you're right. And so forty three that that this uh, that this is the film that actually got made, um, is, is a bit of a celebration as long as the concept had been floating around. Um, so, um, the, let's start with, uh, Chris Columbus's, uh, script.
1: Yeah, this is, this is kind of, uh, you know, Chris Columbus hadn't been around that much by this point. This is definitely early in his film career. I mean, he had, um, gone to, uh, NYU's, uh, Tisch School of the Arts and, um, I think he... I don't know how he kind of came on to this group, but he had written... I think this was actually a script that he wrote to show what he could do. And I don't think he ever intended this script to get made, is kind of what I heard. And... What is interesting about that is this script actually was a much darker script. The mom gets her head cut off by the gremlins, and when Billy comes Ugh. home, mom's head comes bouncing down the stairs. The dog gets eaten by them. They go into a McDonald's, and instead of everybody eating burgers, they're all eating people. And there's just so, so much dark Super stuff grim. happening. And I think that that tone was what captured people's attention. They kind of liked that. Um, what was going on in the script, but they didn't want to make it as, as nearly that dark. And I think that uh, Joe Dante, who had come off of The Howling uh, most recently, was uh, you know already kind of balancing some of that uh, dance between the uh, the horror elements and the comedy elements. Uh, you saw it kind of in his Jaws spoof that he did of Piranha. Which, mm-hmm. actually, Steven Spielberg, that's what caught Spielberg's attention. Um, and Because I think Universal actually wanted to sue um, for that film. and uh, But he saw it, and it's just like, oh, no, it's actually really fun. It's They're kind of just making fun of it. And so he totally got it. And then uh, from there, Dante went on to do uh, The Howling, which has never been one of my favorite films. It's just not something that I've ever clicked with. But, um, you know, it was it was enough and, and to, uh, for him to continue kind of this vein of kind of that comedy horror, which he really developed here. And this was really his first opportunity to do something that was with the studio and much bigger budget. And he continued that vein with the comedy and horror. And uh, it certainly is something that he's kind of developed um, over his career. He really enjoys both of those. And Chris Columbus, on the other hand, he wrote um, early on in his career. And then, of course, that moved him into... Directing in 87 with Adventures and Babysitting, and he's gone on from there. But yeah, he did Reckless and Gremlins in 1984, and then The Goonies and Young Sherlock Holmes in 85. So that's the early start of Chris Columbus before he started doing really schmaltzy movies.
0: So, uh, apart from the, you know, dare I say, apart from the John Hughes esque transition of Chris Columbus. Mm hmm uh you know as we it just really reminded me of of our vacation 58 discussion you know that incredibly dark um sort of exercising of demons uh in in his original columbus's original script um you know into the final there it was interesting and we do you know we've got the little amazon thing at the end and and the amazon reviews i think are really illustrative on a on a central point here which is the the period that this film came out the transition from comedy to horror surprised some people quite a number surprised it was surprised enough people that we saw change in the whole industry uh in uh, you know this year um did did it strike you as too violent violent enough to lead to a change in the rating system
1: you know i saw this several times in the theater when i was a kid and i don't think i ever thought that it was horribly uh over-the-top or anything like that. Uh, my parents took me several times, so they must not have been that disturbed by it either. Or or terrible parents. Or they're just terrible parents. That's right. Um, actually, I think my dad, this was a point when my dad would take us to movies and then he would usually sleep through most of them. <laughs> so <laughs> you probably missed all of the stuff that was pretty horrifying. Um, so, uh, yeah, I... I uh, looking at it now, by today's standards, I don't think it's that bad. My... Um, I think that uh, PG-13, I can see why this and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the two films that came out in 84 that really created the PG-13 rating, um, I don't know if by today's standards this would need to be PG-13, but back then I could see why. I mean, this sort of, it was really two scenes. It was the gremlin in the blender and the gremlin in the microwave. Those two moments were so disgusting and over the top that people were pretty disturbed and felt, you know, what this was definitely more than a child should have seen, and uh, but you know, I guess that's why they called it call call it parental guidance, though, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is one of those things where we already had invented a solution to this problem. We just let it slip, uh, and and I think parental guidance is it was enough.
1: Yeah, exactly. G is for general, PG yeah. parental guidance. It's like you know, if you're a parent. Yeah, it's your decision to guide your child to uh, yeah this movie or not.
0: Yeah, so so I uh I I'm sort of with you, although I I did find myself a little bit surprised when the, I had forgotten the blender bit, um and uh and just how what a just how dominating a force the mom was in the kitchen. Oh, she's great, uh, man! When she hauls off and starts stabbing the gremlin on the counter, get out of my kitchen. Uh, I found that really um. Great, the mom played by... Francis Lee uh, McCain. Francis Lee McCain. Uh, I thought she was just terrific. <laughs> she was in Stand By Me, too, a few years yeah, later. Yeah, She was the mom there. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about our hero, uh, Zach Galligan.
1: Ah, Zach. He was uh, great. This came out at a time when I was really connecting to movie characters, and I really connected to Billy. I mean, he was older than I was at the time, but I still really kind of... He was definitely my surrogate for this film, and I was just right there with him. I wanted my own Mogwai. I was pretty confident that I could have taken a much better uh, job of caring for my Mogwai than Billy Yes, He is the worst pet owner. He is the worst. (laughs) So bad. Oh, my goodness. From his dog, who he loosely ties under his desk and... uh, to taking care of his mogwai which he clearly can't <laughs> even when he knows the rules and even when the water spills on it
0: they don't do he p- takes it to a guy and teaches
1: it how to break the rules right and when 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 gizmo is laying on his desk floundering in pain with all these things popping off of his back in the water puddle he does he doesn't even pick him up <laughs> it's just like <laughs> dude Oh.
0: yeah it's not he's a terrible he's terrible he is terrible he's the worst
1: but he was great as billy and i actually really connect with him still i think that um that he's uh a lot of fun as this role i think he works well in, in this and the sequel i think he worked well in both of them it's it's interesting because it's not a film that it, it's hard to look at this film and kind of analyze and break down and say okay so Where's the where's the story arc and, and and who's the change character here? I mean, I don't really think there's enough of that sort of stuff in this story. I mean, because I don't think... I mean, Billy doesn't really change. He doesn't grow. If anything, he um, maybe learns his lesson for having screwed up so royally. But even by the end... I, I think even that is a
0: difficult case I, to make. I do
1: too, especially because Gizmo has to kind of help him get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and And at the end, when... When the old Chinese man is walking out, he's just like, oh, maybe one day you will be ready. It's like, I don't know what... Implying
0: you are clearly not ready now. Well,
1: and it's like, I don't know what gave him the impression that one day he would be, other than the fact (laughs) that Gizmo liked him. (laughs) <laughs> but that's what was great about him as a surrogate character. Because as a, as a young boy watching this, I wasn't paying attention to those sorts of things. I was just really enjoying it. And I wanted to be Billy. I wanted to believe that the grandfather would say to me, one day you will be ready. And so I was like, one day I'll be ready to have my own Mogwai.
0: Yeah. And and then you never stopped and asked the question, like, what, what about today? Right. Uh, because we never earned today in this movie. And that, you know... It's it's moderately unsatisfying in that area. Oh, it is. But it's
1: yeah. this, this. Like I said, this is not a movie that I think you watch for that. This is a movie that you you enjoy because it's a Gremlins movie. You know, it's a little monster movie. It's it's just silly. It's this comedy horror. It's something that you just can't take too seriously. That's the truth. Which they really the amp up in Gremlins too.
0: Which I don't remember at
1: all. I want to watch that again. Uh, I haven't seen it since it was in the theaters and I vaguely remember it and I remember enjoying it enough uh, but not did, as much as I enjoyed the first one. So
0: Did everybody come back for that?
1: Um I know I know he and Phoebe came back and Dick Miller came back and uh there's a Donald Trump it's actually kind of funny cuz there's a Donald Trump like character in it. John Glover, he plays Daniel Clamp, the eccentric oh, billionaire. Uh Christopher Lee is in it and uh, I think some of the characters the voice characters I think come back um but not like the parents and stuff like this. I think this is later Billy is living in uh in New York, I believe
0: mm, so yeah, they've taken total control over the building of a media mogul right yeah, all right. I'm not that excited about it
1: it's but what I loved about it is that they actually created that movie to be a Purposeful spoof of what people expected out of sequels, and so I thought that was a very smart thing to do, especially for 1990. So that's what makes me want to watch it again.
0: Wow, this cast I had, I, I maybe I never even saw it. I mean, beyond Zach Gallagher, Phoebe Cates, and John Glover, Robert Prosky, Robert Picardo, Christopher Lee, mm-hmm. Haviland Morris, Dick Miller, Jackie Joseph, and Getty Watanabe, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> Not wow. to mention cameos up the wazoo. There are lots of cameos in that one.
0: Okay. Well, there'll be a late night some night. There you go. There you go. Okay, Phoebe Cates.
1: Boy, who didn't fall in love with her after this movie? I've never met anybody that would fall into that category. (laughs) It's funny because I... (laughs)
0: Were you not really asking? I couldn't (laughs) tell if that was literal.
1: It's funny because I had never seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High... Um, by the time I'd seen this. That was definitely not a film that I would have been allowed to watch. No, um, no. So I saw that years later and probably past the point where it really would have meant something to me. Um, so this was my introduction to Phoebe Cates, and I was pretty much just uh, head over heels for her from this point on.
0: This was, yeah, I mean, this was, boy. <laughs> this was the year Oh yeah. when I, uh, man, started having these uh, surrogate crushes uh, on you know, movie characters. Right. And boy, she was at the top of the list. Yes, indeed. Is she still married
1: to Kevin Klein? I don't know. Cause they met when she auditioned for the big chill before this. And even though he's 17 years older than her in 1989, they got married. And I feel like they're, cause she's kind of retired. I think that after 2001, she's kind of left the business and uh, i think it's just yeah. to settle down with him they are they're still
0: married they have two children yeah there you go really really happy for them and their family but 1984 was a tough year for me <laughs> just saying Yes indeed. She's the girlfriend. She's the she plays the girlfriend and she's uh, you know one of the things I actually like about her is she's not completely totally helpless even though there are a lot of scenes of of them running where he grabs her hand and they run together. He runs in front of her, you know, it's that sort of dragging her to safety. Yep. Uh and and that doesn't that's one of those behaviors that uh, that doesn't hold up quite as well. And in fact, I I love that that uh, speaking of Star Wars that they make such fun of that. Uh Repeatedly, right. <laughs> why do you keep grabbing my hand? Why do you keep grabbing my hand? I can run, uh, but she is she does hold her own in the bar, and uh, uh, she's. Um, uh, well, and, and so I, she holds I her own, kind of and an I like that they actually use
1: her as a character that's kind of integral to helping figure out how to stop Stripe at the end. She's not just you know defenseless with Stripe coming to kill her right. or anything like that. She is actually active in trying to um, use the tools presented to her to stop him. And I like that they integrate her into
0: that. Arguably more useful than uh, Zach, uh, who ends up getting pummeled by uh, Stripe, shot with an arrow until he is rescued by uh, Gizmo. Gizmo, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, in the scale of people who are the most effective...
0: (laughs) He is at the bottom. He's the least. (laughs) His dad was more effective, and he wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man! So poor, poor Zach. He was written poorly in that. In that, uh,
1: he actually states. the original script. He is the one. He dives over uh, the the bushes, and he's the one who grabs the 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 blinds and pulls the thing to uh, release the light onto stripe but steven spielberg said you know what i think it's gonna people want more of gizmo here so let's have gizmo come in and do that and so well, it's and, it's uh that is the uh thing that kind of killed uh killed billy's uh big finale there
0: well and did you did you say already that in the original script it was gizmo that turned into stripe that we didn't oh, I, have yeah, a mogwai i didn't uh yeah, we didn't have a Mogwai until again Spielberg said, "Yeah, that's going to be a mistake." No, we did. We we had a Mogwai. It's just no, we did. But but at the end of the movie, we like we didn't have him, yeah, a Mogwai. Right. He had he had turned into Stripe right. and become his, right. the bad guy. Yep. Uh, and so it was. Um, but but the, the the I think wise judgment was: look, people are going to want to. They're going to think this thing is cute. They're going to want to connect with it the entire time. Um, yeah, they they the, for want the that. duration of the film. Yep. Yeah. So I think that was uh, that was good. Smart signs um, of
1: Spielberg's I, producing prowess.
0: Yes, I. Uh, so I had not. Um, my kids haven't seen this movie. Um, have yours?
1: Yeah, I watched it with them, and you did. Uh, yeah, and Olivia thought it was. Uh, she had no problem with it. She was. I. Uh, were you scared at all? Did you think it was gross? And she definitely was grossed out by some of the scenes, but she did not get scared at all. Parker, on the other hand, was definitely uh, scared.
0: Well, I was running late and so didn't have time to sit down with both of my kids to actually watch this at the same time. But I did tell my you know, my daughter speaks Chinese and shows she, you know, I said, No, it's about this little creature named Mogwai and, and it's the cutest little adorable She says, No, it's not I said, What do you mean? She said Mogwai? I said, yeah. She said, yeah. Why would they ever make a movie about a cute thing named Monster or, like, Horrible Ghost? Like, why would they ever say that? That's funny. I don't think I want to watch that movie. So, I don't know. We'll see if I can talk her into it. That's funny. Uh, But, um, anyway... Um I I look forward to watching it with them at some point. Uh, I just hope they uh I hope they haven't outgrown it. But and
1: speaking of Phoebe Cates, though, for people who are going to put this on because they want to watch it with their kids, be forewarned. Phoebe says something. There's a line that she says that you do not want your
0: kids to hear. So that's the truth. Yes. We won't say it here. No. in case you're listening with kids. But uh yeah. Wow. If you want to uh,
1: know what that line is, just uh, send us a note. <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook yeah. or somewhere, and yeah. we'll tell you what that line is. Just don't let yeah, your kids see if it.
0: Yeah, or if you've forgotten uh, and you have kids of a certain age. Yeah, uh, yeah, watch it yeah. first and before you show it to them.
1: Before we leave Phoebe, we have to mention her speech, which is <laughs> quite an issue of contention with this. Yes. Film. That speech, which uh, you uh, quoted at the beginning.
0: It's my favorite part of the film
1: it i love it i think it's a great part of the film it's got this darkness it's got kind of a slightly comic edge to it and everything it is the thing that really stands out to me as this like this moment in this film and everybody Hated that moment when they would do test screenings of that. People would say, "Oh, I loved it," but man, that speech is horrible. Cut that! And all of the people at the studio wanted to cut it, but Joe Dante said, "No, no, no! It, it's the perfect blend of the comedy and the horror. It's perfect. It, it, it's kind of the essence of this film." And everybody was trying to get him to cut it every time they would screen it. They they would say just everything is great you just got to cut that one scene and finally these people were going behind his back to Steven Spielberg telling Spielberg that they had, that he had to make Joe take it out and so Spielberg talked with Joe and he's just like look everybody wants me to tell you to take this thing out do you really want it in there and Joe's like yes it is the core of what this movie's about i really want it and Spielberg's like well i don't like it but it's your movie so if you want it in there then it stays and thank goodness, because not only did it give a great moment to this film, but it gave Gremlins 2 one of its funniest scenes, which is when they spoof that scene. They, they actually spoof the sequence? They spoof that entire thing. She has this whole second moment right there in that film where she's talking about, I can't remember what holiday it is, but she has a spoof about <laughs> how she hates that holiday because it's somebody t- that she knows died on that holiday. It's such a, gra- <laughs> it's a, such a great moment
0: that's awesome i did not i maybe i just never i say i don't remember gremlins 2 i think it's becoming more clear that i've never seen it well we should uh yeah we should watch that. And... Is it a christmas film it's not it's whatever other
1: holiday oh <laughs> he's right. talking about okay. i feel like so it's maybe like, we need like an like, arbor day it's like washington's birthday or something like that it's <laughs> <laughs> really funny
0: oh that's good yes it is uh I, uh, okay, so uh, do we have other cast members you want to talk about?
1: Well, just uh, running through the list real quick, uh, Dick Miller. Hoyt. Oh, well, Hoyt Axton. Hoyt Axton. How funny is it that uh, he is, he acts in some of these movies like this and The Black Stallion and stuff, but then he's this guy who's this like country music legend who wrote songs like uh, um, uh, Joy to the World.
0: He is a phenomenally talented guy, and he has been around forever, uh, and uh, I, it's just so funny to see in this movie, because from the very beginning, you know, I I think the opening sequence is one of my very favorite, because it opens in Chinatown, and it's a very noir kind of feel, uh, and he is a very noir kind of character, until you realize he's an absolute... He's just a, a nutty professor. He's a bumbling kind of doofus, uh, trying to sell the bathroom buddy in a Chinese, um, ancient Chinese <laughs> gift shop, which is is hysterical. So, anyhow, I think he's just um, he's just a wonderful uh, com- part of this film. The thing that I like so much about him, his demeanor is such that you just get the feeling, man, that's exactly what he's like in real life. Like there is no acting going on. It's just like that's all he's capable of as being himself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's some of my favorite little bits in this are when he's at the Inventors Convention. <laughs> yes. And you see him on the phone, and you ha- that's where there's like Steven Spielberg rides by on a little reclined bicycle <laughs> yes. in a thing. Jerry Goldsmith is on the phone behind him in one scene, and Robbie the Robot walks by. And I love the bit where you see the time machine from the old movie. You see that behind him, and then when you cut back, it's gone. like. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like funny little bits like that that uh, joe dante's throwing in i think are, are so fun but yeah hoyt axton is just great in all those scenes so yeah he's definitely he one is too. great one to uh, who else uh polly holiday we already kind of mentioned as uh mrs deagle she's fantastic
0: did we talk about her when did we talk about we her?
1: only loosely talked about her because she was in alice which alice. we talked about yeah. from alice doesn't live here anymore
0: right that's why
1: i don't think we actually talked about her though in anything
0: she's a horrible person in this movie oh god she's good i this love the good. uh I, how she goes you know so she goes she's the the gremlins uh have their way with her mechanical um wheelchair elevator what are those called uh mechanical wheelchair elevators it, oh well <laughs> you always were the knower of things i
1: do i do know these things
0: Uh, And she got on it at the first, it's a big spiral staircase and she gets on it and she pushes the button and she shoots off like a rocket and is thrown out the second story uh, window and to her death. And uh, that's one of my favorites because it actually capitalizes on one of my deepest childhood fears uh, because we had a we had an older relative who had one of those things. And the first time I saw her going up uh, on the elevator, I thought, what if that went haywire and you were shot out the window upstairs? And I must have been five. It's like and you wrote I've, this scene, Pete. It's like I wrote this. So it this is clearly I'm not alone in being terrorized by mechanical uh, elevator, chair elevators. Uh, but... Uh, it's it's my easily my favorite uh, death in the movie is Mrs. Deagles.
1: Oh, it's great. Especially because she's just a, such a despised character. She's horrible. Character. And I love that all of her cats are named after different types of currency. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. Old $1, $1 bill. Old $1 bill. Clopack or whatever it's. <laughs>
1: Oh, so funny. Yeah, she's great. Corey Feldman, you already mentioned. Uh I This did? was early in his career. I think this was if not his one of his first films um I know he had done the Fox and the Hound as a voice actor before this but I think this is one of his first uh first uh big roles I shouldn't even call it a big role but a, a noticeable role where you go oh okay let's hey that cute kid from there let's put him in Goonies let's put him in Stand by Me
0: wow Friday the 13th <laughs> the final chapter <laughs> right uh Lost Boys actually oh yeah that was the first one I feel like I actually noticed him. Not in Goonies? No, I mean, you know, because I, I don't know. Because when did those come out? They were practically back to, to one back. I mean, practically back to back. Yeah, Goonies was
1: 85 and... This was 87. Last Boys it's, was 87, yeah.
0: I, I don't have a memory of, of him as an actor from seeing Goonies, just as a character. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was the Lost Boys that I actually feel like I, I, he, that was when I first noticed him as an actor and started kind of putting names to films. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And, and then of course that was, the, we got caught up in all the, all the Cory stuff. Oh, ah, yes. The Corey you know, stuff. The Corys. Yes. Uh, and that's, you know, I was of a certain age. I would, I'd pop that collar. <laughs> I would pop that collar. Seriously. I would do the double pop. Yes, I would.
1: We would all do that.
0: What was it? That's What'd you do with your? What would you do with your with your jeans? Would you uh, fold them pike, over and then roll them up? You, you fold them over. What's that called? You pike your. Uh, did you pike your? There's a word for it. You like do something to your jeans. I
1: don't know. Someone, one of somebody who's listening is going to have to write us in and tell us because I can't remember either. Yeah.
0: What is the thing that you do with your jeans when you fold them and roll them? Plank? It's not plank. You don't plank. No, you definitely don't plank your jeans. No one would plank pleat. anything in the eighties. No, that's not a thing. Either. It, it was uh, that word was already used yeah. for for pants. I don't remember. You, you yeah. have pleated pants. You can't pleat a pleated pant. <laughs> that just gets complicated. And mean mean a second thing. <laughs> that's you can't do that. <sighs> oh. I know somebody knows. Yes. Tell us who was there. We needed they were, desperation. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they were listening to the Footloose soundtrack and uh, watching the Lost Boys. And they were doing something to their jeans, and popping their collars. There you go. Of their eyes, odds. What was it? Um, Key. Lu- anyway, Key Luke
1: played uh, grandfather in this. He actually was uh, number one son in in the old Charlie Chan films.
0: Oh, way wow. back in
1: uh, in the old days, and then uh, I think he was also in some of the Green Hornet stuff. So yeah, he had been around for a very long time, and by this point, he was. Um, uh, definitely late in his career although he he kept acting through the 80s and he was in gremlins too as well uh we talked about some voices you already mentioned howie mandel howie mandel is gizmo and uh, he's fantastic as gizmo he doesn't sing the gizmo song that's a little uh a little girl i think from jerry goldsmith's church or something like that but um yeah howie mandel is great as uh as the lead of our of our good guys and then Frank Welker, we've talked about him. I can't we wonder. just talked about yeah, what him. What was it that we just talked about him? And well, it was Totoro? He was Totoro. And then, did you look through the list of the other people who played uh, played the voices?
0: Yeah, like Don Steele and uh, Marvin Miller were voices. They were radio, like the radio voices. Michael Winslow. Do you remember Michael Winslow from the Police Academy movies?
1: Oh, yeah. He was the sound effect guy. He was the, sound effect, the sound effect guy. Yeah, he was one of the gremlins. Or he oh, they, these guys ended up doing a lot of different voices for these gremlins. But yeah, he right. was that guy who would be like the helicopter and the police car and just all the cool sound effects. That was him, Michael Winslow. Totally, Winston. totally, totally. He was one of them. Bob Bergen, we talked about it, actually. He was uh, uh, the um, Lupin, Lupin Third. That's right. In the Castle wow. of Caligostro, Yeah, he was uh, some of the voices here for them. Um, Fred Newman, who I remember as this kind of another sound effects guy. He was on some Nickelodeon show when I was a kid, and he would do these little bits about sound effects. And I had some books of his to do sounds with my mouth and all sorts of cool things. I always thought he was so
0: cool. I'm sort of surprised you haven't uh, you didn't start with Michael Sheehan. You are? Because he was a, a voice in one of your very favorites, um, the original, uh, Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> 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 Oh, Pete. <laughs> he played uh Rio Pachico in Gem truly outrageous. That is very funny. I should have known. So you should have. <laughs> I mean I you should have. Uh anyway, uh yes, and uh finally uh, Bob Holt was also uh, was also in it another wow 108 credits for old Bob Holt. A lot
1: of sound stuff there. Yeah, and uh A lot of sound stuff. And then I think Mark Dodson did some too. Mark Dodson and Peter Cullen. Oh, and Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, also did. That's right. Yeah, so quite a what number was, of... What was
0: Frank Welker in the Transformers? He was also a big He was Megatron guy.
1: and... Um, Galvatron, right. Yeah, a couple of those, uh, the bad guys, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and Soundwave and Skywarp and Mixmaster and Laserbeak. And... Oh, yeah,
1: yeah he's... look at that. He does all sorts of crazy sounds. He's a crazy sound yeah. guy. I love the stuff that he does, yeah.
0: I do remember this era for Howie Mandel. Like, you would see him on a talk show, and this was the only voice he would use for like five years
1: straight. Well, I don't know if this led into his Baby Stewie or Baby Stewie led into this. I think it was Baby Stewie first. He doesn't do those on uh, America's Got Talent. No, thank God. (laughs) But this was back when he was kind of that comedian. I remember seeing him on comedy shows. And that was back when he had hair, too. Uh, Let's see, Harry Carey Jr. pops up in here. Um, He's just kind of famous from uh, the days acting back in the John Ford films and everything. So he's been around forever. Um, Jonathan Banks, our favorite uh, addition to um, Breaking Bad. Oh, sure. He's the deputy, remember?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we haven't talked about... uh, um the uh, our our dear friend that we just talked about last week, uh, Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold, of course. Two weeks ago, Judge Reinhold
1: pops up in here, and his he he had a bigger part, and he actually uh, in his bigger part he locks himself into the safe in the bank to protect himself from the gremlins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: his that was his big claim to fame. Yes, it was kind of funny. Yeah. And then Edward Andrews is the bank boss. And he's a face that's pretty uh, well known. But I think uh, like he did, had done ton of stuff. But the only thing that I really remember him as is the grandfather in Sixteen Candles. Wow. He's the one who... No, I did not remember like, that. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's like, Long, where is my automobile?
0: <laughs> automobile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's like the only thing I really remember him as, sadly. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, uh, uh, Dick Miller, um, pops up in, geez, I feel like he pops up in all of, um, Dante's films. I think that they're, they just go way back. So he's, I think you can find him in pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Glenn Turman, the interesting thing about Glenn Turman, he's the high school teacher that, uh, Billy brings the, uh, Mogwai to. Yes. He actually auditioned for the part of Han Solo. Back oh, back wow. in the day, and George Lucas apparently had him in mind for the role, but felt that there might be too much controversy at the time between a white Princess Leia and a black Han Solo. Um, back in the seventies, I guess that's what you know people had problems with that, and uh, and so yeah, he uh, didn't get the part, obviously. But I thought that was really interesting, and I wonder if um, I wonder if he had actually been offered the part at any point
0: of uh, of Lando. That's crazy. I know. Isn't that nuts? Well, he was just in. Uh, what did we just see him in? Uh, well, see, he was a couple of years ago. He did Super Eight and Jonathan. John dies at the end, right in the, uh, right back to back. Um, Who's he in Super Eight? I 8? was a big fan of Super Eight. It was Doctor Woodward. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So it was. It was good to see him pop up again. And crazy because he's one of those guys who, as he aged, he really didn't age all that much. Like his face didn't change. It just sort of. Got sandy, you know, like the texture of his skin changed, but his shape didn't change. So he just looked young and shiny in this movie. And I I, I was crazy. Yeah,
1: it's funny seeing him here.
0: The sets. Yeah. Had a nice, uh, nice sense of homey familiarity. They sure did. Thank you, Universal backlot. I know. It's like I was waiting for, uh, for Marty McFly to drive by. Yeah, that was um uh, I could have used that. So this was uh, this was the main strip. This was the movie theater that blows up is the movie theater that blows up when Marty drives a DeLorean through it. Uh, and uh, uh, so it was very much a um the the downtown of what was it? Hill Valley? Hill Valley, California. And uh so it was it was very charming. Felt like I already knew my way around.
1: I know it's it's a perfect little square, and I mean that's just two of the films filmed here. I mean, geez, you go through, and I mean, you can find spots where Rebel Without a Cause was filmed here, where John Ford filmed some movies here. I mean, so many people filmed in this back lot. There's so many, so much movie history in this yeah. in this area here. So it's, uh,
0: it's. Do you know anything about that back lot? I mean, is it still? Does it still stand? I think so.
1: I don't know. I guess I, uh-huh. I, I sh- I shouldn't say because I actually don't know, but I assume it does. I just, uh, I'm trying to think of a movie I saw
0: filmed there recently. Like recently. Yeah, Man, I can't. Uh, it makes me, what was the one that was mostly black and white? That was probably 20 years ago now. The whole thing was about introducing color back into Pleasantville. The, was Pleasantville, was that? That seems like it would have been filmed in a place like this. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I can't remember, though. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, this was I Universal's know. back lot,
1: but it, this is a Warner Brothers film. So I guess they were just, uh,
0: Sharing it out. The
1: buddy Buddy. Yeah. You know. Chris Wallace. We definitely need to talk about Chris Wallace and his effects that he did here. Um the puppetry. I I really enjoy the puppetry. I am finding myself uh more and more to when I think effects are done in a film, um I can really just buy into them. It's as long as they're done pretty well, I can really just find it easy to accept as reality. Whether it's puppets or CG, I can kind of just roll with it and and really get into it. This, I think the puppets work really well for a 1984 film. I really enjoy watching them. I think that they're great design. I think the Mogwai and the Gremlins themselves are all such such fun creatures to watch. And I think that they just really do some fun stuff with them. And I, uh, yeah, this was one of those films where they had a huge amount of pre-pro developing these creatures. I think it was seven months trying to develop them and figure out how to make a move and all sorts of stuff. And even then it was just still like, you know, uh, down to the wire every day as they were trying to do it and uh, always kind of panicked. Um, trying to make sure that they could actually get stuff done in time. So uh, yeah, he created all the different creatures here, and then went on to do Enemy Mine and the Fly, the Fly Two, Arachnophobia, uh, just all sorts of stuff.
0: Uh, and I don't know—is Carol Wallace his wife or his daughter? And Mark Wallace, I assume, is his son. I don't know. They're both on the Creature Crew. Ah, they were. They also played Gremlins. Nice. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about John Hora. Yeah. Or Aura. Hora? I don't know. You know, I have a problem with silent Ages. I would think it's uh, Aura, but that's Aura. Let's go with Aura. Yeah. He was the uh, cinematographer on the film, and I, I found myself really liking it. And one of the reasons I really liked it is because it felt so much like a Steven Spielberg film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a this was a film clear by a guy clearly who was a student of where Spielberg puts the camera, and I, I thought the movement of the camera in the uh, particularly in the uh, the homey uh, areas you know when we're moving the camera through the town square when we're introducing us to the town by way of billy uh, when we are you know when we're looking at uh, and then when we move into the more intense sequences the sneaking around sequences great uh use of light uh, i thought just the striking sort of spotlights and and light ends up being a very important component to the film because right. it's the thing that can kill the gremlins and i think we you know particularly as we work through the third act we get a real sense of of somebody who understands how to how to move in and around light and and make light a tangible thing and i, I so i thought he did a really nice job he's um, he, he doesn't have much in his um, you know his career 22 um, 22 credits yeah nothing in uh, the last but those... couple years Nothing in the last couple of years, but uh, but you know those credits also include things like uh, Honey, I blew up the kid, and frankly, that's another one that has that sort of uh, a camera innocence that I think um, uh, that I think he really captured here in Gremlins. I haven't seen much of the other stuff that he did. Obviously, Twilight's Twilight Zone. I'm a, a fan of. He did segment three. I don't remember which one that was. Uh, not that much of a fan, but he also came with uh, <laughs> with Dante because
1: uh, well, it was Joe Dante's segment. Made sense. Yeah, I mean, he worked on a number of Dante's films. He worked on, uh, a, um, like you said, the the Twilight Zone and the Howling. Worked on Gremlins, Explorers, Gremlins Two, and Matinee. Um, so yeah, he's had a good uh, a good run with um, with Dante through his career. And mm-hmm. uh, I that to me seems like the uh, the strongest bits of his career, the ones that stand out for me. I mean, Moonwalker. Actually, I really liked Moonwalker. That was the uh, I'm trying to remember if it was black and white or what, but it was um, that was kind of that feature Michael Jackson music video thing.
0: That wasn't was that what was that equivalent to like Captain EO, The Experience, or was it? Um, I don't remember. It was Moonwalker that much. I know I saw it. It was a feature film. Link. Oh, it so. was. Yeah, it was a
1: full on feature that they made uh, with all of the music from the album. And interesting, uh, I remember liking it, but I just don't remember anything about it other than. The main song. Uh, yeah, but I, I think you're right. I, I think that he brings a lot to the table here. And I you know I think by nature, a film about creatures who need it to be kind of dim gives the DP a lot of opportunity to play with those shadows and do some nice stuff all through here. And so I, I really like it. I think that he did a great job. How did it uh, How do? This film, uh, well, it did pretty well for itself. This was um, a film that uh, was released the same weekend as Ghostbusters. Um, so obviously that kind of comedy horror was kind of uh, at a peak at this point in time. This film cost 11 million to make, so not uh, a ton of money. That was about 24.6 million in today's dollars. It ended up making domestically about 153 million. So yeah, that's a that's a good jump in in profits there. That's about three almost 343 million in today's dollars. That made for an adjusted profit per finished minute of just over three million per minute.
0: All right. Did all right. Uh, it got a sequel.
1: Oddly enough, it got a sequel, but nobody could figure out what to do with the sequel. And by the time they gave it to Joe Dante and said, here, you do it and we'll let you do whatever they want or whatever you want with it. It was like a few years too late. That sequel really should have come out a little closer to the original film.
0: That's interesting. Wait a minute. So how many years apart was it? Six. Six. The sequel came Six. out in Oh, yeah, no, I, that makes totally sense.
1: And it's funny, because people always talk about that when sequels come out. Especially, I mean, there are these periods now where a sequel will come out, and it's a huge amount of time. I mean, even Mad Max Fury Road came out a very long time after the first three. And uh, I, I think it boils down to the film and kind of really finding the right way to tap into an audience, especially if it is much delayed. And I don't think Gremlins 2... I think that they did some really clever things with it, but it was not done in a way that could reconnect with an audience that had kind of forgotten what the original was all about.
0: Yeah, it may have been just a bridge too far in the satire of itself. Right. You know, coming six years later. Uh, Well, I think it's probably time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com, everybody. You can go to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can see all of our films that we've ever done, and you can set up your own account, and then you can just start at the top of ours. You just start with network, number one, and start ranking. And I think you'll find, because you know, you're know you civilized, that network will stay at the top of yours because <laughs> we agree, everything else is a crapshoot. What do you care? Just Just do it, and let's see what happens. That's funny. Roll the dice, Andy.
1: Gremlins or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
0: Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
1: I love Gremlins. I'm going to just say that right now. I, I love it. It is so much fun for me to watch. I have such a great time with it. And Do you think this, Joe
0: Dante is listening? Is that the problem? No, but I will. We're going to
1: have? but I will say that I did get a chance to tell Joe Dante that I love the burbs. And that is my my favorite Joe Dante movie. And it's Tom Hanks, of course. So, really, no surprise that I love it. But man, do I love that movie. Definitely could be a guilty pleasure down the road. And it was great telling Joe Dante that that was my favorite of his. So,
0: where would you put, since we're not going to get it, just off the cuff, uh, Gremlins versus the Burbs? Oh, the Burbs, absolutely. Oh, okay. All right. So, it's not a, all right. No, I'm just saying I
1: love the, I love Gremlins. It's absolutely tops for me, but I'm still picking your brother. Yeah. Okay. See, I I can be sane. Yeah. Gremlins are the. I think s- there's going to be a lot of that. Well, we'll see here. Gremlins are the Sandlot. It's going to Gremlins. Yeah, I would go to Gremlins. All right. Gremlins or only angels have wings. I would do Gremlins. I liked only angels have wings, but it, you know, it had it, there was a lot of story issues I had with that one. All right, I'll give it to Gremlins. Gremlins or League of Their Own. League of Their Own oh i'll go a league of their own <laughs> i have to think about that one for a little bit gremlins or 500 days of summer 500 days of summer yeah i'll do 500 days of summer gremlins or the deer hunter i will do gremlins the deer hunter <laughs> seriously the deer hunter is a really solid movie gosh you're gonna this is gonna be hard for me because it's a really really good movie
0: it's just it's see it's not, I, this is gonna the, <laughs> i'm spoiler this is not like a four gremlins is not like a four or five star movie for me i mean no, it's barely a three maybe two and a half what? like it's wow yeah so
1: i this is not hard for me no that's fine i i appreciate that the deer hunter is just not a film that i would watch that often it's a tough film to watch yeah no i agree it's just significantly better film all right more you're, substantial film. you're right you're making me feel guilty so i'm gonna pick the deer hunter <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gremlins or Sophie's Choice? This is not a Sophie's Choice for me. I'll pick Gremlins. (sighs) Sophie's Choice relies on the strength of that scene, and I had such a problem with Peter McNichol this last time.
0: No, you're right. Okay, I'll give
1: you Gremlins. Gremlins or King's Row? I would do Gremlins.
0: Over King's Row? Yes. (sighs) Andy... We rated that three stars. See, that's the problem, is that this is, that's how I feel about this one, too. I mean, it's like right in there. And I like that Ron Reagan. No, he was great. This one just, it's it's a
1: fun film. This this one is a lot more fun. King's Row, I mean, it's a good movie. All right, I'm going to give you Gremlins. That's fine. All right. There you go. 132 out of 216.
0: Okay. All right.
1: A little under that's the about- middle.
0: A little under the middle, but we, again, a lot of good movies. We have a
1: lot of good movies. That's our mantra. Yes, it is. A lot of good yeah. movies on the list. You'll be happy to know that it's Underfield of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite <laughs> of old two-by-fours movies. Oh, dear. Oh, too funny.
0: There you go. Uh, this is a, it's a good place for it. Uh, and again, I you know, I think for Letterboxd, I'm really, I mean, I'm a two and a half stars on this film. Wow. Really? And I feel like that may be even a little generous. I like it. I really do. I don't see myself putting it on all that often. Like now I've been reintroduced to it. I feel like I could go another 15 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was good. It was good. Interesting. And there's a lot of good stuff going on. There
1: is. It's, there's a lot of fun. It was, it's, it's just kind of, yeah. It's, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's just a, kind of an, a fun romp.
0: Yes. No, I agree with all of those things. I would use the same exact language as you would, but I, my voice would go down at the end. It's a fun romp. It's a fun romp. But it and brings that's, you down. That's it. No, it, 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 brings me, it even brings me up. I'll even say it brings me up. They look like they're having a good time making the film. I've seen it again. I enjoyed it. And now I'm going to go to back and see, you know. Other movies again? Other better movies. Okay, Not well,
1: I'm at 4.5 on this one. Wow, yeah. wow. I know.
0: That's higher than I expected. Really? Yeah. So we're a three and a half between us. Yep. Okay. Yes, we are three and a half. I can't. I can't wait to read the blot spot this week. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, all right, where do we go from here, Andrew? Well, we're leaving the uh, the
1: holiday season with, uh, and, and we're kicking off the new year. We're kicking off our 2016 series, Pete. Can you believe it? We're finally getting to the point <laughs> where the new year is beginning, and we're going to kick it off with Boogie Nights, which I, <laughs> I guess isn't really a New Year's film, but it does have a really fantastic New Year's party in it.
0: <laughs> Did we end up picking this movie. What I mean, how did we end up picking this movie?
1: Because it's great and because it has a great New Year's scene
0: in it. (laughs) That was it, it was just the New Year's. I think we're hitting a
1: struggling point where we're trying to find films that focus on New Year's. (laughs) (laughs) We may hit a point where we stop doing New Year's films,
0: (laughs) that's just the start of a new
1: series. Oh, dear. We should re- I, we should request listeners write in tell us other please. great New Year's films. I mean, Boogie Nights
0: is it 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 still fits. <laughs> uh, it still fits. It, we next year may be tough. Yes, it may. <laughs> oh, I'm a star.
1: <laughs> I'm a big bright shiny star. A
0: big bright shiny star. <laughs> All right, Andy. Uh, until the new year, my friend. Happy holidays to everybody. And uh, I'm gonna go to bed.
1: All right. Well, it's not quite midnight, so I got some. Uh, Mogwai in the back room, I've got to go feed.
0: Okay, see, I saw that you had kind of a longer one, and so I found two uh, that are really short. I see that. Yeah, um, this one I thought was really funny. Uh, One out of five stars from Badlands. Gremlins are destructive, deviant creatures whose shenanigans border on delinquency more than whimsical. I saw them as metaphors for spoiled, deviant kids. The ugliness of the critters is what turned my five-year-old granddaughter off, and so the movie was shot. Dang! Doesn't that remind you of like a senator on the, doing a filibuster?
1: <laughs> it does. Wow! The uh, Gremlins, the famous Gremlins filibuster of <laughs> nineteen
0: seventy-three. <1973. laughs> this is why I love Amazon so much. They're deviants, and they, they are destructive deviants, and they have shenanigans. <laughs> Uh Speech Chick 101 is only moderately uh less uh excited. Uh don't waste your time. The movie is awful. Nobody finds it bizarre that this creature can say its own name as well as bright light. I wish I could unwatch this. I also wish I could give it a negative rating.
1: <laughs> that is funny. I will
0: say I did find it very comical that people
1: I mean this is a strange creature that essentially can talk and do all sorts of stuff and people are like, "Yeah, that's great." It's great. Let's put it back in a box. Yeah, you, it seems sentient. Let's your, lock you, it in a box. Go take your creepy creature home and let us we'll let us grown ups figure things out.
0: Yeah. Here. Two hundred bucks for a sentient creature that can speak. So funny. Sure. Buy it. No, this isn't this isn't uh a rehashing uh or starting a whole industry of animal slavery. <laughs>
1: well, Bob gave it one star and said worst movie ever. I bought this movie because of the cute cover, thinking it would be great for my kids. Turns out, it's the scariest movie they'd ever watched, creeping them out for weeks to the point where they can't sleep in their own bed. I wish I could give it zero stars. Not only is it absolutely terrifying and insanely creepy, even for me, a grown man, but the acting and special effects is so poorly done that I was laughing which seemed to be the only comedic part of the film. I got this movie for two bucks, and it wasn't even worth that. It is the absolute worst movie I have ever seen. The worst parts are when the gremlins are having a huge party with inappropriate drinking and smoking, when the girl tells her horrific Christmas Eve story about how her father died in the chimney pretending to be Santa, and when the narrator tells us at the end that there might be a gremlin in your house, which put my children in tears. Words can't describe the hatred I have for this movie.
0: Except for the last hundred words that I have written.
1: <laughs> yeah, except I described it with all these words here.
0: <laughs> but other than that, words can't describe it. This, These reviews are why we do this Amazon bit. These are the ones. Brilliant. Happy holidays, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022...